usually works like this. I've got feelings that I want to give into and I finally am going to give into them. But to do that, I'm going to have to shift a little in the way I approach truth and the way I approach how I arrive to truth. And then I can be more comfortable claiming that identity. So mm-hmm. it, it really can be helpful to say, can you help me understand how you arrive at truth? is an author and speaker whose story goes from being a promiscuous heterosexual teen to a gay man to a saved gay affirming Christian to happily married to a woman for 36 years with two kids. He tells his story and answers questions about how to react as a Christian parent if your child comes out. Joe has written several books, such as When Homosexuality Hits Home, What to Do When a Loved One Says I'm Gay, The Gay Gospel, How Pro-Gay Advocates Misread the Bible, and Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking with Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. Welcome to Christianity Still Makes Sense, the show that loves doubters. Bobby and Joe, I will turn it over to you. Yes, thank you so much, Tim. Joe, it is such a privilege to have you on Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me, Bobby. This is a pleasure. Been looking forward to it. Yeah, for a long time, uh, I've had the just the privilege of, you know, loving your work. And I, you know, developed a, a seminar for a church where I pastored many years ago. And your book, The Gay Gospel, was so oh. informative. And I can remember you go, um, at different times, uh, Hank Hanegraaff coming on the Bible mm-hmm. Answer Man and reading, yeah. you know, the uh, CRI's journal. And so I just really appreciate all the work that you've done to help in this area, Joe. Okay, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And it's meant a lot to me because of my own background to be able to do something redemptive. Of course, you know, uh, different stories, but I mean, you know, in my own life coming out as a heterosexual, but living a very promiscuous life and having the Lord save me, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the thought life can get really damaged and thankful for the gospel. Tell us, and tell us a little bit, Job. I mean, for our audience, a little bit about your story. I mean, today, you know, we know that you've been married for a long time. You've got mm-hmm. uh, two kids. Isn't that correct? Two men. Um, yeah, I still call two them men. Kids, yeah, two grown men. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they prefer to be called, uh, you know, adults yeah. at this stage. But tell us a little bit about your story and you know how you got to the place where you are right now. Yeah, you know, that that's not a pretty story, Bobby, but it's a very common one. I was one of those people who repented of homosexuality when he was born again. I got saved in 1971 at Little Calvary back in the uh, small chapel there. Um, And uh, at that time, I had already begun to identify myself as gay. That was right at the beginning of the gay rights movement. But when I came to Christ, I thought, well, that's all going to be over. And in in a sense, it was, of course. I mean, I was a new creature. I stopped all of that behavior. I was worshiping and in the word daily and, you know, just very, very on fire for God. But I mistakenly thought, and this is where a lot of people get tripped up these days, I mistakenly thought that if I am born again and filled with the Spirit of God, there's no way I'm ever going to have those kinds of temptations again. And a lot of people made that mistake. Somehow homosexuality, because it is an unnatural sin, it's also a very controversial sin. And because of that, sometimes people think of it in, in terms differently than they think of other sexual sins. So, you know, for example, if a man repented of the use of pornography or promiscuity, generally he would not expect that he will never have temptations again. But because this sin was, to my thinking, so heinous, well, surely if I really am a new creature, I will never have those desires again. But those desires did reemerge. 
And mm -hmm. instead of addressing them biblically, like, well, the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. So you crucify the old nature, you confess your sinful tendencies and temptations, and, you know, you move on. Um, I couldn't do that, or at least I didn't feel I could, not in the 1970s. And I'm not blaming the church. The fault was on mine in. But uh, basically, Bobby, I gave up around 1978. After I'd been involved in ministry and after I had been serving the Lord pretty diligently, I got tired of the struggle and I basically gave myself permission to give in. I thought, you know what? I, I guess this is where it all starts. I'm entitled. You know, my pleasure matters. I matter. Gee, somebody's got to think of me, you know? And, and I thought, mm -hmm. I'm so, so, so tired to say no to this. I'm just going to give myself permission to use porn. And then that led to going out to gay bars and finally to basically a, about a year of real crazy promiscuity, the bar scene and the nightclub scene. But now here's where it gets interesting. And, and this is, I think, is relevant to a lot of our listeners. A lot of people um, who have gone into the gay community as Christians miss the fellowship of the church, which I did. But mm. they also are not willing to relinquish their sexual feelings to God's authority. So I wanted to find a way to have it both ways. And that's when somebody told me about the pro-gay church. It was called the Metropolitan Community Church in Long Beach at that time. And that was where they basically preached a pro-gay interpretation of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, you know, it was one of those teachings that, you know, if you want the Bible to say something, you can find a way to make it say it. You know, it's kind of like if you choke the word hard enough, you can, you can distort <laughs> it. And basically, bad. that's what I did. I wanted to believe that so badly because like a lot sure. of people caught up in that sin, I thought, man, I didn't ask for these feelings. I feel so misunderstood. Um, I asked God to take all the feelings away and he didn't. Maybe he didn't intend to. So it kind of mm -hmm. started with that old conversation from the garden, hath God really said, you know. And uh, so I was presented with an interpretation of the Bible that appealed to me. Now, I'd mm -hmm. been grounded under Chuck Smith, for heaven's sake. I knew better. But I also <laughs> felt like, well, maybe even if this isn't quite right, is it so terribly wrong? If I stop going to bars, if I stop living a promiscuous life, if I stop getting drunk every night like I was doing, well, if I'm serving the Lord as a gay man, isn't that better? You know, I'll find a partner, we'll be in a monogamous relationship, we'll live a godly life as a gay couple. As insane as this might sound to our listeners, when people are desperate, they're very susceptible to lies. And I was very mm. susceptible to that one. So I embraced the pro-gay interpretation of the Bible. I eventually joined the staff of the pro-gay church and I was preaching pretty regularly. And I got to tell you, um, Bobby, that church was full of what I call formers. I didn't know one person who came to Christ through that church. Everybody hmm. there was a former Southern Baptist, former Calvary Chapel, former Foursquare, former Assemblies of God. We'd all hmm. been born again in Bible-believing churches, backslid into homosexuality, then tried to find a way that we could reconcile homosexuality with the Scripture. And mm -hmm. I promoted that belief up until early 1984 when the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit just became unbearable. You know, when, when people say, well, what causes you to change? Ultimately, something has to happen between the individual and God. And that's what happened mm -hmm. to me. I mean, the, um, the Holy Spirit made my life miserable. <laughs> Everything else in my life was wow. going beautifully by 1984. But uh, I w I, the, the things I couldn't get away from were these two questions. Are you really in God's will? And do you care if you're not? Does it even matter? Mm. Because if it doesn't even matter, what's your life been about all these years? Mm. And that's when I had to get honest and think, okay, Lord, what does the scripture really say 
have I been kidding myself? And when I repented that night, it was one of the best and the worst nights of my life. One of the best nights in that, wow, Lord, you have received me back. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Put me in the barn, you know, that whole thing. Well, he received me. But then I also had to face what I'd done. I mean, mm -hmm. I had deceived people. I had been deceived. I'd given myself over to this. And I knew I had to make a new start. I relocated from Long Beach because I had so many ties with the gay community there. I would have never made it if I'd have tried to stay there. So I found a good Christian counselor, got grounded in church again. After about a year, uh, I met Renee at uh, Calvary. We were both part of a music ministry called the Worship Community. I wound up playing keyboards for them and met her and uh, had not really figured that I would ever marry. I thought, well, that's that's going to be the end of the story there. I'll be celibate because after everything I'd done, I didn't think that uh, I didn't think any Christian woman in her right mind would have me. But uh, mm. we dated for about a year and a half. Then I proposed. We've been married for 36 years now. But wow. that was also around the same time my ministry started. I, I really had a, a desire to at least work with other people who've been in the same position I was in. Born-again Christians who are privately wrestling with homosexuality or gender identity issues or sexual issues in general and want to walk out their sanctification properly and biblically, but uh, are so often afraid to admit they have this kind of a problem. So that's been my work really for uh, oh, 36 years now, since 1987. And like I said earlier, it's, it's been a major honor. It's the old uh, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound kind of a, mm. uh, of a principle. So yeah, that's it I mean, in a nutshell. I mean, it's a powerful story, Joe. And, you know, it's um, it's interesting, too, that, you know, God would bring you out. And now you've been married all these years to a female. Um, would it be proper, like in part my ignorance? I think sexuality is a little bit confusing sometimes for me to wrap my head around. Would oh, yeah. it be proper to like... Would, would bisexual be more the way that you are wired since you had in the past being attracted to, to men? And, I'm, and I don't even know if our attractions get fixed. Or it's a good question. Say, yeah, like how's that work? <laughs> you know, you're right about the complication bit, you know. Now, the behavior is very easy to just classify. It's either this yeah. or it's that. When you talk about the feelings... Uh, mm -hmm. Let me kind of backtrack to my earliest days. And the reason I say yeah. this is because I think, like you said, human sexuality, it gets it gets very murky. Yeah. Uh, my initial attractions in life were to girls when I was a boy. And then by the time I was a teenager, I felt very strong attractions to men. I also, unfortunately, was promiscuous both ways with, with girls mm -hmm. and with guys. Maybe bisexual would have been the right term. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I really don't. I know this. When I repented... My only thing was, I wasn't saying, God, make me straight. God, bring me sure. a wife. I, you know, I wasn't looking for that at all. I, I just didn't think it would happen. My thing was, God, make me obedient. I've sinned. Mm -hmm. And then what I found that as I was just living obediently, the longer I said no to porn, to sexual fantasy, of course, to any kind of connection with men that was sexual, the longer I abstained from that, the less often those temptations came. And when they came, the less strength they had. And it was kind of like Paul saying, you know, sin shall not have dominion over you. That to me is the difference between the power of sin and the presence of sin. Presence of mm -hmm. sin, I think we're kidding ourselves if we say we don't have any sinful tendencies. Of course we do. That's the old nature. We still got to deal with that. But in Christ, we don't have to allow that to have authority over us. So mm -hmm. 
in the past when when especially a homosexual temptation a, a sexual temptation would say jump i'd be like how high <laughs> obviously yeah that was my life <laughs> right. the longer i abstained the, the the more muted that jump became and uh when you know till finally every so often when it would come i'd be like oh jump yourself you know it's not that not that big a deal <laughs> now what i'm not going to sit here and say bobby is mm, completely delivered could never be tempted that way again I don't know that. I mean, I think um, there are circumstances that I avoid for good reasons. I I mean, me, I couldn't go evangelize in a gay bar. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but it wouldn't be right for me. I wouldn't go witnessing a gay pride parade where a bunch of guys are being sexual with each other. That just, I I think that'd be stupid. It could stir up old feelings. I don't want to test that theory out, but you know, I, so I don't think I'm immune to temptation. Now, again, um, we get different results. In other words, I know guys who repented of homosexuality 40 years ago. And by the grace of God, they're living Christ-centered lives. They do not act on those temptations, but the temptations are very strong. And they never developed an attraction to the opposite sex for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Now, they're not doing anything wrong. It's not like I followed the right diet plan and they didn't. It doesn't work that way. We live obediently and we leave the outcome to God. So what what I like to refer to a lot when we talk about this whole change issue, that conversation the Lord had with Peter after the resurrection when he's saying, do you love me? If so, feed my sheep. Then he said, basically, you used to go where you wanted to go. Now you're going to be led. Peter looks over at John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus said, you know, basically, that's none of your business. Uh, If it's my will for him to live till I come back, and it's my will for you to die a martyr's death, that's my business. Follow me. And that, to me, says the call is universal. All of us are called to follow him. The outcome Mm. is unique. Some of us will get married. Some of us won't. Some of us will go on mission fields. Some of us will have secular jobs. And to what extent we are relieved from different temptations, that will vary from person to person. If we try to box it into one outcome, I think, first of all, we get outside of biblical authority because biblically, we're not guaranteed that we will not have temptations. We're guaranteed that we will be given what we need to deal with them. But the Mm -hmm. degree to which we're relieved of them, like, you know, Bobby, you were talking about porn. Now, you talk to a guy who's repentant of porn. One will say, yeah, I got to resist the temptation pretty regularly. Another guy will go, well, I don't know. It's been months since I've even thought of that. So it varies from person to person for reasons we don't even understand. I mean, our mm. makeup is is kind of a mystery. What we do know is this. All lust and sin comes from fallen nature. We know that. We know that the fall has affected everyone, and we know that that there are some sinful tendencies that you could call universal, right? I mean, we all mm-hmm. relate to the idea to the temptation to punch somebody out or to be selfish or to lie. Um, and there are some temptations that are more unique to maybe a minority of people. So you read Deuteronomy, and you know you think, "Wow, there are some things prohibited in there that you think, well, would somebody even want to do that?" <laughs> Yeah, you know, somebody would. Not you, not me, but somebody. So that's that's the way it is. Even when I give my testimony, I'm very aware. I gave myself over to unnatural desires. Most men cannot relate to that. I'm glad most men cannot relate to that. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. 
But the fact is they all come from the same root, whether our desires or temptations are more mainstream or more unique. All of it comes from the sin nature. All of us are called to obedience. All of us are given the grace to obey, but the outcome will vary from person to person. I guess I'm, yeah. I'm kind of harping on that, Bobby, only because I think it's important people not hear a testimony like mine and think, oh, so that's what happens. If a guy yes. repents of homosexual sin, God will give him a wife in three years if he finds the right counselor. No, we don't know that. You know What we do know is God will call each individual and sustain each individual to fulfill his calling so long as the individual is living obediently and abiding. Hi, Tim here. If you're enjoying this conversation and want more episodes like this one, please let us know in the comments of this video on our YouTube channel. And while you're there, please like and subscribe to our channel. It is a great way to support this ministry. We are a listener-supported ministry, and if you feel led to support the show with a financial gift, you can do so at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com and then click on Donate. Now, back to the conversation with Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I think you were real clear about that, Joe. And I appreciate that explanation. Um, I think that as people are listening out there, you know, they might be wanting some practical advice. And one thing that I've done is I've extracted a quote of yours that I'd like to read. And then I'd mm -hmm. like uh, us just to kind of go through, uh, you know, these questions and just get your practical wisdom, because there could be people right. out there that, you know, they're struggling with their own homosexual tendencies or they have a loved one that is. And I just think that right. this quote can set us up to offer some hope. So here's your quote, Joe, as both culture and church become more divided over sexuality, big questions emerge. How should Christian parents respond to gay or transgender loved ones? How do we deal with young people in our church who are confused? What do we say when people call us haters? How can we answer pro-gay arguments? What does the Bible really say? And what about discipling same-sex strugglers? How do we show love without compromising truth? So let's go to the first question that you say, as both culture and church become more divided over sexuality, big questions emerge. Question one, how should Christian parents, Joe, respond to gay or transgender loved ones? Man, this one's rough. I got to tell you, when I came out to my parents, Bobby, I had no idea I was turning their world upside down. I just wanted to be honest. Only later do I realize it's like something died. Parents assume, especially if they raise their kids in Christ, that their kids' lives will follow a certain trajectory. When a kid comes out to them, basically the parents grieve the loss of everything they assumed was going to happen. It's rough emotionally. Multiply that by a few hundred, by the way, when, when you talk about somebody whose kid comes out as transgender and says, I'm going to be living as though I was the sex I was not born. I mean, this is just, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. What I tell parents basically is sustain the bond, join the work. Two things. As much as possible, sustain the bond you have with your kids. That does not mean tell them you agree That's with good. them. It doesn't mean affirm them. It means you basically make it clear. Nothing will change my love for you. I want our relationship to stay solid. I am grieving. I believe you are, well, I know you're outside of God's will. And hey, like John said, I got no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Well, you know, the opposite is true. We got no greater fear than to hear that our children don't walk in truth. Mm -hmm. So I don't see why parents need to be phony about this. I mean, an honest Christian parent should be able to say, look, this is very hard for me. This is not what I wanted for you. And I will be going, I will be going before God daily over this, but please don't let this 
come between us. I want us to sustain our bond as much as we can. We have a lot of things to work out. What are our boundaries going to be with each other? How are we going to handle things practically? Okay, but let's sustain the bond. When I also say join the work, you got to remember God is still working in your loved one, okay? Your son or daughter comes out to you, mom, dad, I'm gay, lesbian, transgender. That is clearly not the end of the story. I'm exhibit A. I mean, anybody who knew Joe Dallas in the late 70s, early 80s had every reason to believe Ichabod, the Lord's Mm -hmm. departed. The man's a heretic, the man's a sleazeball, the man's a rebel. Um, So if I could get turned around, anybody could. No reason to give up hope. When, When you join the work, you're basically assuming God is still working in my loved one. To what extent and in what way can I be a part of that work? Mm. Can I reintroduce the scriptures I think my loved one is avoiding? Can I reassure my loved one, hey, the door is still open to you with God? God always welcomes the prodigal back. Can I maybe have dialogue with my loved one that will be redemptive? So often, well, I'd say almost always, by the time a loved one comes out and says, mom, dad, I'm gay or lesbian or trans, they've had a shift in their worldview before they made that decision usually works like this. I've got feelings that I want to give into, and I finally am going to give into them. But to do that, I'm going to have to shift a little in the way I approach truth and the way I approach how I arrive to truth. And then I can be more comfortable claiming that identity. So Mm. it, it really can be helpful to say, can you help me understand how you arrive at truth? Can you help me understand what this has been like for you? I mean, have you been afraid? Have you felt you know, that, that I would reject you? What are your feelings about God? Do I still identify as Christian? Help me understand how you came to the point where you are saying, I now embrace this. And by the way, I think it's important to say, look, I want our conversations to be redemptive. I don't want you to feel every time you see me, I'm going to quote Leviticus to you. That's not going <laughs> right. to happen, okay? But let's not be phony with each other. You couldn't expect to come out to me knowing that I'm a believer. And I'll just be, oh, okay, it's like you changed your hair color. No, this is major. So can we keep talking about it? If nothing else, at least we could better understand each other. Because when this happens, uh, Bobby, nobody gets what they want. The Mm -hmm. son or daughter who comes out wants mom and dad to change their mind and convert. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad want the son or daughter to convert, and rightfully so. But the point is, everybody is dealing with the fact that, okay, our relationship has tension in it now. But that Mm -hmm. tension doesn't have to end the relationship. And I I would say this, if the relationship is going to end, let it be the gay loved one who ended it. Mm -hmm. I hope that doesn't happen. But these days, you know, the Christian viewpoint is being promoted to the world as destructive. We're not just seen as weird or as wrong. The messaging now is the Christian position on sexuality is literally damaging. And I think that's how basically cultural influences are going to try to silence the church. Not by saying that we have a ridiculous position, nobody's going to get excited about that, but the world is being taught incrementally that our position actually does damage. So it's a good chance that your loved one has been indoctrinated to believe that. You want to keep that in mind too. Yeah, this is so good, Joe, that you're emphasizing keeping the relationship intact. It's not an either or. You don't have to compromise to keep their relationship track. But sometimes people force that upon people, which can be a bit of a burden. You know, I know that, you know, there's some of the social media influencers who are out there just saying, look, if your parents don't go in hook, line and sinker, write them off. But like you said, that fall on their side. Another question that you have, Joe, and one of the things that I love about the fact that God has, you know, redeemed you out of the lifestyle that he has and others like Christopher Yuan and, Mm -hmm. um, 
Rebecca Gilson and uh, is it Rebecca Gilson or Rachel Gilson? Rachel then, Gilson, uh, yeah. Rachel uh, and uh, uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. There's a lot of people out there that I'm thankful for, like Rosaria Butterfield, because yes. as a straight person, I think it's important that we're aware of those that are doing good Christian apologetic work, trying to help the church. And it really gives me the security of being able to say, look, this isn't like I, I can talk to you about what the Bible says, but here are some people that have lived in that lifestyle and they're encouraging us as straight people to not compromise on the word, even when people are confused. And we see this mm -hmm. in the church to your second question. You know, there's a lot of confusion with young people in our church. How do we minister to them in the midst of this confusion? Hey, we, we got a lot of mopping up to do, Bobby. Oh, yeah. um, we really do. I, I think we're behind the eight ball on that one. Maybe we assumed that our young people would just agree with what we already believe without us taking the time to explain it to them. And I think that kind of speaks to a couple of problems within the church today. I think one is... Um, a lessening of our commitment to studying the word. I mean, studying the word should be something that is business as usual in a Christian household, you know? And, and I think that when we are raising our kids to both know the word and then raising them to understand that in our home, we adhere to the word, then they grow up with a more defined Christian worldview by which they can judge things. Because without that, you don't have biblical discernment. And I think this is what the real problem is. Not that our kids are, in so many cases, and I'm talking about Christian kids and Christian Bible-believing churches, in so many cases, our young people are taking a pro-gay position, kind of by default. And I think it's largely because they're not well-grounded biblically. So if they don't have a good biblical worldview, they're not immune. You know, uh, I was part of the gay community when AIDS hit. The horror of AIDS is diseases that would otherwise not affect you do kill you because your immune system's broken down. Well, biblical discernment is the immune system of the church, to my thinking. If we, mm. it, it, there are a lot of heresies floating around that will not penetrate us if we're biblically grounded. We have the ability to discern biblically based on our working knowledge of the Bible. But if we don't have that, we fall for a lot of stuff. So I think that's largely what's happening. Okay, that's my rant uh, mm. at, at a practical level. We need to face this. The world is going to make a case to our kids. We got to make the case first. That wow. means we have to start talking to our kids much earlier than we think we should about this stuff. Wow. I resent this, man. I really resent that we have to talk to children about things yeah. children shouldn't even know about, okay? But mm -hmm. they are going to hear it. So they need to hear it from a biblical perspective. Now, I am not saying when your kid is five years old, start talking about different sexual behaviors. No. But from early in life, we got to teach our kids, Bobby, in our home, we are different. It doesn't mean we're weird, but we serve God in this house. This document, the Bible, is the word of God. We adhere to it. So as you grow up, you're going to find a lot of your friends do things that you're not going to be allowed to do. Uh, we will believe and do things that a lot of your friends won't do. And it's kind of like what God was saying to Israel. You're going to be surrounded by all these nations. Just understand you're a separated people. We got to get that locked into our kids' heads from early in life. In our home, we're separated. So in our home, we don't take our cues from the American Psychiatric Association or Oprah Winfrey or the ABC Evening News. This is the authority we go by. Now, if we can just get that ingrained early in life, that alone can protect them 
from a lot of the beliefs they're going to adopt just because some experts set them. We want to make it clear, first of all, this is how we operate in our role, in, in our home. I find it helpful to say also, as our kids are getting a little bit older, you know, we have found, and I have seen in my own life, and your mother and I would agree, that when we are living within the guidelines of this document, the Bible, and we're serving Christ and we're walking in the light, everything works better in life. And we have seen so many people's lives fall apart because they didn't. And then finally, I, I, I'm not going to arbitrarily say, and by the time they're 11, talk to them about this. I will say this, they are probably ready to hear things specific about sex about three years earlier than you think they are, you know? So mm -hmm. you want to make sure you have talked to them about the, you know, why sexual purity is such an important issue, how good sex is, a very sex positive. You know what? We read in, in the, when God created him, our, our first parents and all their naked sexuality, he looked on it and he said, that's very good. He basically applauded. That means that in our home, we believe that sex is a treasure. And that is exactly why we, we believe that it should only be enjoyed within the context of the safety of a covenant relationship in which you know you're secure with each other. And so mm -hmm. you, you basically want to get that nailed down, certainly preteen, you know. And uh, I guess it goes without saying, but let's say it anyway. You also got to live it. <laughs> I mean, yes, we, we have to show our kids, hey, this stuff works. Mom and I are happy. We're not perfect, but we're happy. And we have found there is a real benefit to stay within these guidelines. And as a father, uh, of course, with my testimony, I had to tell my kids early in life my story because they were going to hear it anyway. But as a father, I think it also helps to say, look, I'm not immune to sexual temptation. When I say we have to be careful about what we're watching on TV at home, it's not just for you kids. It's for me. Okay. Yeah. So part of being responsible is admitting it is very easy to fall into sexual temptation. I want to protect our marriage because I love your mother and we have a pretty good thing going here. So those are kind of the, basically the messaging you want to give. Then in our churches, Bobby, we've got to start talking about this stuff more specifically and not be so yeah. reticent in our youth groups to say, hey, let's be relevant. The Word of God has something to say about what everybody's talking about. The transgender movement, the gay rights movement, the woke movement, the, you know, whatever. Let's look at what Scripture has to say. I, I think our kids are very hungry to know truth. But what mm -hmm. I think they're hearing, I may be wrong, but it seems to be Bobby, they're hearing more certainty from the world than they're hearing yeah. from the church. Kids are susceptible to certainty. Who seems to really believe what they're talking about? When they hear the certainty of liberal theologians and pro-gay activists versus the hesitancy of so many Christian leaders to just talk about this plainly, who do you think they're going to take seriously? So this mm, is where I think, I, I know we've been afraid and I get it. A lot of Christians have spoken irresponsibly on this, I know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't even get me started on some of the ways we've probably <laughs> done some serious damage, you know. Just to yeah, say, I mean, that's I mean, so true, Joe. Like when the I was hatred a gay that we have. We loved it. We, <laughs> yeah, we I bet. Because I say we TV did. And we would make a note of anything irresponsible somebody said and said, yes, we love it, you know. But the point is, we can't let that um, uh, intimidate us from clarity. Because right. clarity is a big part of our job description, right? We're so into the bedside manner. Am I, a, am I a kind doctor with a good bedside manner who makes everybody feel good? We're forgetting that the doctor's role is also diagnosis and prescription. If something's mm -hmm. wrong, I need to know it from my doctor. And if something's wrong, I need to know what to do about it. If we're not adding those two elements, 
who cares about our bedside matter? We're going to nice people into perdition, you know? Hmm. Yeah, good points, Joe. I think uh, with our time, we got about five minutes left uh, for our discussion. Uh, you had some other questions in here that I think in some ways we've been able to touch a little bit. Like, you know, what do we do when people say we're haters? I mean, we don't have to, or mm -hmm. how do we show love without compromising truth? I mean, these are these are things I think that we just have to believe that we can do in life, that we can love people. And we don't have to adopt their agenda or their beliefs, whether it's LGBTQ or any other philosophical system right. that might be contrary to scripture. Right. I guess the final uh, question to throw at you today, Joe, would be as it relates to these arguments um, that people bring up um, in the Bible, what would you suggest to Christians who have maybe some people that have been swept up into the metropolitan community church and mm -hmm. they're hearing these pro-gay arguments biblically, uh, what kind of an apologetic, you know, like, hey, if you had just a few minutes to say, be aware of this and this is how you can know that truth of God's word and don't fall into what the culture says, what advice would you give biblically? I think the pro-gay interpretation of the Bible appeals to emotion primarily because we want to believe if, if I have a gay loved one, if I have a transgender loved one, I don't want to believe they're lost. I don't even want to believe they're wrong. And so often, if I find that the truth is causing me discomfort, I want to figure out a way to revise the truth. So what I would always ask people is, are you embracing a reinterpretation of the Bible because that is what you want to believe? Or can you with integrity say you have sought the scripture out prayerfully and by comparing scripture to scripture, you have come to this conclusion. So what I always advise people to do is beware of the human tendency to revise based on emotional preference, because I think that's what this usually comes down to. People don't just read the scripture and come to the conclusion that Jesus is okay with gay marriage. Right. Something has happened that has caused them to want to believe that. And so what we ask people to do is please be intellectually honest. Do you really believe this or is this what you want to believe? Wow. Yeah, Joe, that's such a great uh, response right there. Well, I just want to thank you so much for your time, hey. your story, uh, your influence and impact, Joe. It's been a real privilege having you on the show today. Sure went fast. Thank you so much, man. Bobby, I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might want to watch our episode titled Advice for Parents of LGBTQ Plus Kids, and that's episode 25. With that, we will see you next time on Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you.